deacons and pastors happy when we see all this money come in on Tuesday. <laughs> so we are continuing our sermon series called The Way, as I said in the beginning of this, uh, of today's sermon, uh, series, uh, sermon series, Sunday. What day is it today? I'm really confused. I've been away all weekend. So um, beginning of today, we've looked at the words of Jesus. And, and we as followers of Jesus have got to take his words very seriously. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus and say, I really don't care about the words of Jesus, right? It's, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I really prefer what the world has to say. I really prefer what kind of progressive people have to say. I really prefer what culture has to say, but I'm still a follower of Jesus. You see, there's this massive tension that you and I face in the culture today as followers of Jesus. And what we've been doing throughout this series since September is looking at spiritual disciplines, looking at spiritual practices to help us hear the voice of Jesus more in our lives. Whether that's through prayer, whether that's through Bible reading, whether that's through journaling, whether that's through going to a small group, whatever that is, is we got to get better at actually hearing the voice of Jesus. But there's a second part to that, is when you start hearing the voice of Jesus, then you need to be equipped to actually start doing what Jesus asks you to do. And that can be the challenging part sometimes. And so today I want to talk about the very light and fluffy topic of repentance and confession. And to kind of help get our brain around the topic of confession and repentance, we're going to do a little bit of kind of confess our sins to one another this morning. I just want you to raise your hand if you have ever kept a secret. Okay, that was easy. Okay. For the second question, don't raise your hand. Okay, especially because it might have something to do with the person sitting beside you, and I don't want to put you in an awkward lunch conversation today. But have you ever kept a secret that you knew if it got out, you would hurt someone you love? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever kept a secret that you knew if that got out? You would hurt your wife, you would hurt your husband, you would hurt your kids, you would hurt someone at work, you would hurt a family member. If you've ever had that, how do you end up living your life with that kind of a secret? Think about the relationship with that person. Are you close? Is is there a distance between you? Because of that secret, do you find yourself thinking more and wrestling with how to make sure this doesn't come out than actual the amount of time it would be to actually work on the secret? You see, when you and I keep secrets from one another, it impacts the relationship. Now, the same is true with our relationship with God. Now, here's the funny thing about the relationship with God, is we work really, really, really hard to keep the secret. (laughs) But he's God, and he already knows it. (laughs) 
He's just waiting for us to come to him in confession and repentance. Right? And so this, this is why this is really an important topic to not just talk about and go, well, that was a good sermon today, Pastor. You really challenged me with that exegetical movement from Romans chapter 8, and I really like how you exposed the Greek. We're going to do some of that. But if that's all you get from it, and it doesn't actually change your behavior, then what we did here this morning, honestly, is a colossal waste of time. Because it should change you. When we look at this topic, when we realize that you and I are keeping secrets from one another, from God, that are actually eating us up inside, that are actually diminishing the power of God in our lives, weakening our relationship with God and weakening our relationship in the church and weakening our relationships in our families because of these secrets that we keep trying to hide. And that's why confession and repentance is so good for the soul. It's because it opens you up to the power of God. And so to help us talk about repentance and confession, I want us to read Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along in Romans chapter 8. If you do not own a Bible and you're with us here today, there is uh, one either in the back of the room or sometimes they're in the chairs in front of you. Please grab one of those Bibles and keep it as our gift to you today. I'm a big believer that every family should own a Bible. And if you're joining us at Greenbelt Online and you do not own a Bible and you'd like one, email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and I will send you a Bible anywhere in the world completely for free. Because I think it's crucial that we each have the word of God in our homes. So Romans chapter 8 is by far my favorite chapter in the most deep, rich theological book of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, I go back to this one all the time. I believe Romans chapter 8 is, has become crucial in my life as a follower of Jesus. It's crucial in my life as a husband. It's crucial in my life as a father. It's crucial in my life as a pastor. So I want to unpack Romans chapter 8 kind of through the spiritual disciplines that we're learning about in our daily devotion in the way curriculum and the topic we'll be doing in our life groups this week. I want you to see this, how this confession and this repentance is so important. So I'm going to read from um, verses 1 to 17, and I might pause a little bit for commentary throughout. So let me just read here. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore, and I'll explain why therefore is there in a moment. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit." Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit 
have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. If you have a pen, underline that. Why do you get so angry with non-Christians, the non-Christians in your life? Why do you get so angry with people who don't follow Jesus? It's because they can't. So cut them some grace. And we have to figure that out. It's a challenging thing to live in. They can't live like a follower of Jesus. It's just not in them to do so. Right? Those who are in the realm of the flesh, they cannot please God. Not possible. Verse 9 continues, you, follower of Jesus, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If, put a big underline under that word, if, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, underline obligation. <laughs> How many of you like to be have obligations in your life? You have some follower of Jesus. <laughs> there are obligations. There are obligations, okay? But it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live accord if sorry, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you do not live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our own spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, there, there's a lot to unpack here in Romans chapter 8. You can easily do a six-week sermon series just from Romans chapter 8. But the depth of what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the city of Rome is absolutely crucial when you and I take a look and evaluate our lives, our families, our churches, how God is working and living in each and every one of us. How God is working and living through each and every one of us. 
right? The first seven chapters of the book of Romans, if you're not familiar with it, right? Paul is focusing on how God has provided a way to have our sins forgiven. We learn in the first seven chapters of Romans that God must deal with sin. It's in his nature. It's in his character. He has to deal with it. He cannot simply ignore behavior, which is not the behavior that God intended for humanity. He must deal with it. It's like you as a parent. If you've got some child who's gone out to the shed and grabs a chainsaw and figures out how to turn it on and is having a grand old time running through the house with this live chainsaw, you know, carving their name into the drywall with chainsaws, you have to stop that. You can't go, well, little Tommy, he's learning and he's discovering himself. Little Tommy's going to decapitate somebody. If we're not careful, this is like the whole thing with sin that we see sin as something to experiment with and to discover ourselves. We forget it's killing us. So we got to realize that God has to talk about sin. He has to deal with sin. And God has shown the Jewish people throughout their history through the law that these are God's standards. This is how God expects his children to live. But what Romans 8 reminds us is because of our human flesh, nobody can keep the law. Not one of you. I can't. Our elders can't. Our pastor can't. Nobody can. Well, there was one guy a couple of thousand years ago. His name was Jesus. And he was able to keep the law. And that's why Romans 8 then says, and that is why in his flesh, the punishment of sin can go on him. And then his debt can come, his, the payment of the, of, against sin can come to us because there's sinless flesh. And now here's sinful flesh, right? So Paul's making this huge, huge case for how you and I deal with sin, And he shows us here in Romans chapter 8 that this righteousness of God, it comes from faith in Jesus. It doesn't come from being religious. It doesn't come from keeping all the rules. It doesn't come from keeping all the traditions. Now, the rules and the traditions, they still have a place to help us understand the character and nature of God, to help draw us closer to the character and nature of God. But it's not to please God, and it's not to earn God's love. It's not to earn salvation. It's that God, as a loving Abba Father, brings guidance and discipline and correction to his children in whom he deeply loves. And so because you are completely, totally forgiven of your sin because of what Jesus has done. That's why this therefore is there at the beginning of chapter 8. Like I just summarized the first seven chapters of Romans. So therefore, because Jesus dealt with your sin, because you couldn't keep the law, because God loves you so much, therefore, by your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Condemnation here is is the Greek word katakrima. Love that word, katakrima. And it means that literally there is no verdict against you. 
You know the little secret that you've been keeping from that person you love? And if it got out, you know you're going to pay for that. (laughs) Right? And you kind of have to pay for it because there's consequences. (laughs) But God, when he looks upon you as a follower of Jesus, who has truly turned from your sin, repented, turned away from it, when you confessed that you have sin, that you need to be saved. God looks at you and there is no judgment against you. There's no verdict against you. You are innocent, innocent, innocent as if, and this is how powerful this Greek word is. It's as if you've never done the sin. That's why this is good news. You see, I grew up in a religious environment where church was not good news at all. Church was a misery filled with miserable people who were mean and cruel and liars and thieves. And it was not good news. It was rule. Rule, rule, obey, obey, obey. And I'm not surprised that everyone from my school, I don't know a single follower of Jesus from my elementary school. Not one. Because it was bad news. But you and I are the ambassadors of good news That sin can be completely, totally wiped away through our repentance, turning from the sin, turning to Jesus by confessing that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is Lord. And we do that confession and that repentance that one time. And then something happens to us, especially kind of like Reformed, Baptist-leaning, Bible-believing Christians. We go, we believe it's all about Jesus, and we repent and we confess. And then once we've done that, and then we now start to live our lives like it all depends on us. Like, I have to get good enough. I got to get smart enough. I got to get educated enough. I have to, I have to, I have to. But the problem with thinking that repentance and confession is a one-time thing is it forgets to take Romans chapter 8, verse 5 into account, where it says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Show of hands, how many of you still have flesh? If your hand's not up, we have to talk. Because <laughs> you're freaking me out right now. <laughs> oh my goodness, they don't have flesh. Ah! Okay, you all have flesh. I all have flesh. How many of you get hungry? Okay, when you're hungry, what's easier to do? Make a nice, good, healthy salad and make some nice little kind of some fish and just some light olive oil and some herbs and some spices, or go grab a poutine. What's easier? The poutine. Exactly. See, because your flesh, like my flesh, is lazy. Your flesh, like my flesh, desires the poutine. 
Okay? You and I, according to Romans 8, chapter 5, and this is the second part of, of, of 8, 5, it says, those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul in Romans chapter 8 is reminding us of the tension that you and I live in, that there is a battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Paul talks about that even more in his uh, letter to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, for the flesh... This flesh, that is a temple to the Holy Spirit, (laughs) this flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. But then the Spirit of God that came to live in you when you accepted Jesus and turned from your sin, that Spirit wants what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you're not to do whatever you want. You see, it's fascinating in the, in the time of human history that we live in that we see people making decisions out of either kind of this posture of pride. Well, I can't ever own one of my mistakes because I'll look weak or my enemies will attack me for admitting a weakness. Or if I ever do actually admit I've done something wrong, actually admit I have a weakness. Well, I do it because I'm a victim, because my parents didn't love me, and daddy didn't play catch with me enough, and mommy didn't breastfeed me, and it's all their fault. Like, we blame other people for our stuff. And this is kind of this tension that we live in as a culture right now. Either you just have to prove to the world how awesome you are, never admit a fault, Or just say any fault that does have to come out, well, it's not my fault. It's because of the environment or this or whatever. We just make up excuses for what's going on in in within us. Instead of realizing what Romans 8 and Galatians 5 is showing us is that you and I are in this battle. And I firmly believe when Christians forget that there's a battle and the solution to the battle is confession and repentance. So the big idea, write this down, talk about this in your life group this week, is confession and uh, confess and repent as the spirit leads. Not out of guilt, not out of shame because there's no condemnation. Remember? So we're listening to the voice of God through reading the Bible, through praying, through journaling, all the things we've been learning for the last couple of months. So as the Spirit leads, we confess and we repent as the Spirit leads for victory over the flesh. So let me unpack that big idea a little bit more just by going through three questions. And I want you to, these are questions not for the person sitting beside you. They're not questions for you to kind of wave a finger at everybody in your life group this week. And now ask the question in your life group this week. But ultimately, it's questions that I'm asking myself. It's questions that each of us need to ask ourselves. And they come from Romans chapter 8 to help us in the spiritual practice, the spiritual disciplines of repentance and confession. And the first question might seem a little bit odd, but it's very crucial that you have an answer to this question. And the question is this, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly in Christ? I mean, this is what 
Paul says here in Romans chapter 1. This is why I asked you to underline the word if in verse 9 of chapter 8. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If I'm truly in Christ. Now, I'm not the type of pastor, I'm not the type of guy who likes making people doubt their salvation. That, that's not my bend. And if you're with us for the first time, it's like, oh my goodness, he's one of those guys. I, I'm not. But it is a question that the text forces us to ask. You have to be able to answer this. Am I truly in Christ? Do I actually see the Spirit living in me? If you never see victory over the flesh, if you've never seen transformation, if you've never really heard the voice of God, whether through his word or in prayer time or whatever, if God has always felt distant, if, you're, if, if Jesus has felt more like an obligation and a tradition more than a relationship with a person that you know, you might not be in Christ. And I'm not saying that to judge in any kind of capacity, but it's what Romans forces us to ask. If I'm constantly losing the battle against my flesh, why? Why is that? Right? Paul talks about this in other places in his writings. He, he talks about examining ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says to examine yourself, not examine the person sitting beside you. There are other verses for that later. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And then he's got two little words here that I love. Test yourself. Test yourself. How am I doing? Am I really in Christ? You know, do you realize, as Paul continues, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, the beauty of this test, guess what? It's actually really easy to pass. It's the easiest test in the world to, for every single human being on the planet to pass. You don't actually have to study for very long. All you got to do is ask yourself two questions. Do I do some things that aren't cool? Do I have some thoughts that aren't nice? Do I have some attitudes towards people that are not good? Am I greedy? Am I selfish? Am I lustful? Am I boastful? Am I prideful? Am I arrogant? The answer to that question for all of us, one of those words is yes. If I didn't hit yours, I could just keep going down the trail until I hit yours. Because as we've seen from Romans 8, no one's righteous. No one can keep the law. We all have our thing. So that's the first question. That's question number one on the test. The second question on the test is, has that been wiped away because of Jesus in your life? Have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord out loud? If it's, I hope no one ever knows I'm a Christian. I hope no one at school knows I'm a Christian. I hope no one at the office knows I'm a Christian. I'm just going to like swear and cuss and run around and live like everybody else and hope no one else notices. There's no power in that, right? So the second question is, have I declared Jesus is Lord? It's a two-question exam. And when you say yes and yes, 
You pass when you repent. See, I grew up in a very religious environment, and I learned to hate God and hate the church. And then I learned this message of good news. And on my way to work in Montreal, I said, I'm a sinner. I'm not as nice as everyone thinks I am. I'm not as amazing as everyone thinks I am. I'm not even as amazing as I think I am. (laughs) And I thought I was pretty amazing. And I said, Father, forgive me. I come to you, Abba, Father, forgive my sin. Come into my life and make me new. You pray that in your heart, out loud, with sincerity, you pass the test. (laughs) And if you do that, even today, let me know after the service. (laughs) Come and tell me you've done that. If you did that at Greenbelt Online, click the little button, let us know you've done that. Because that's how you pass the test. Um, I am in Christ. And then we have another question. So what we ask ourselves, am I truly in Christ? If our answer to that is yes, because you did it today or you did it 60 years ago. If your answer is yes, then we go to question number two that we get from Romans chapter 8. And this can be the challenging question for us. It seems simple, but it's huge. The question is, am I willing to live the life Jesus calls me to? Am I willing to live the life that Jesus calls me to? See, in Romans 8, chapter 10, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 8, verse 10, where it says, but if Christ is in you, you've passed the test, you're truly in Christ. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, your body still wants to do what the flesh wants to do, is the spirit going to give you life because of his righteousness, You see, the spirit wins. (laughs) Even though there's a struggle, even though there's a battle, we actually believe what the Bible teaches us, that the spirit wins. See, when I hear Christians say things like, I have this sin and I will always have it. You see, my pastoral response to that, (laughs) I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. And so when a Christian tells me that I have a sin and I'm just always going to have it, I say, no, no. It's not what your Bible says. It's not what Jesus said. Honest, if we were really honest, the sin that I wish I could keep, it's because I really like it. And I would like to keep going back to it. But the Spirit goes, no, no, no. Right? And so we have to ask this, am I actually willing to live the life that Jesus is calling me to? to let the Spirit bring out Jesus' righteousness in my life. Right? This is where Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 8, and we've gone over these throughout this series. In verse 35, it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. My wants, my plans, my desires, my dreams, my goals. I lose those. And they're replaced with God's wants, God's desires, God's dreams, God's goals. (laughs) And then what's amazing about what Jesus says is like when you first seek first God's kingdom, then everything else you worry about is then given to you. (laughs) But we put him first. Jesus continues in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? We have to realize that we're in this battle 
And we are constantly dying to our wants, our desires, to the flesh. And as like Dan taught us last week on the topic of obedience, your Bible talks about confessing and repenting all over the place. All over the place. And that's why confession and repentance is a spiritual practice that we have to make not just one time to, end, to come into the kingdom of heaven, but it's a daily practice in the life of the Christian. We need to obey verses like this, like James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, confess your sin to one another. Now, we as a church, we don't go around with the microphone and do confess your sin Sunday and pass the microphone and go around because it's not appropriate to do that. But that's why I unapologetically say you need to be in a life group. If you're not in a life group, you're not in our care structure as a church. And with those relationships, those friendships that you build in that group, you create the space to confess your sins to one another confessing to each other, right? Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? In the Hebrew in here, this humility, right? Where we pray, we seek my face and we turn from the wicked ways. That's the repentance. (laughs) And it says, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We need this practice of repentance constantly to open ourselves up to the outpouring of the blessing of God. Psalm 38, 18, I confess my inequities. I'm sorry for my sin. Matthew 3, verse 8, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. Like, and I could just go on and on and on and on with verse after verse after verse on this discipline. But we can't approach this discipline like, oh, I can't admit this because what are people going to think of me? Who cares? God already knows. Is it going to be difficult? Probably. Is it going to be a challenge to work through it? Absolutely. But that's why you've got us as the church that you're not going through this alone, that we walk with one another through these things. When we confess these things to God, he already knows. But God is looking for us as men and women, boys and girls who are turning to God, not as an angry master that we have to come begging for forgiveness, but we turn to him as a loving father. And we run into his arms when we mess up. (laughs) Daddy, forgive me. I did that again. (laughs) Show me a better way to live. And that's the third question. Is do I see God as Abba, Father? If you think God is a tyrant, if you think God just wants to make your life miserable, if you think God just wants to destroy all of your fun, you'll never run to him. (laughs) You won't. Why would you? I wouldn't. <laughs> well, maybe unless he threw some lightning bolts and some earthquakes and some plagues, then maybe I would reluctantly run to him. Don't kill me. Okay? But that's not the heart of God. God doesn't want us to run to him because we're afraid of him killing us. <laughs> 
We run to God because he's our Abba, our Father. He knows what's best. He has the best intentions for us. So how how do these three questions play out? I'm just going to give you one little takeaway, and then I'm going to pray. And again, I'm not saying this as a hero of this story at all. Um, But this is something that Danielle and I, in our lives, have called um, keeping our list short. Keeping our list short. And we literally make sure our list is short. Where do I need to say sorry? And and I've shared this before in different sermons. It's like, in the last three years, I've eaten more humble pie than I have in the last 20 years. And humble pie tastes amazing at the foot of the cross. It really does. It's kind of like Thanksgiving pumpkin pie now with whipped cream because it, it, it just frees the soul. It's like, you, you know, you're right. I didn't do that well. I'm sorry. You're right. I, that was wrong. I'm sorry. And again, in this tension that we live in that leaders can't ever say sorry, or when we do say sorry, we say sorry on the behalf of somebody else. No, own your sorry. Figure out how to get that confession out more and more and more. And then we kind of go, okay, now where do I need to repent more and more and more? I've shared, I mean, unapologetically, the last three years, I've had to deal with anger. I get angry. Things get me angry. And I go, what's making me angry? I got to deal with that. I need to repent of that. I need to seek God for that. I need to like work on my heart with that. Keep your list short. We've been talking about journaling. If you go home today and you take out your journal and you start writing your list down of everyone that you have something against. And if you flip to page two, you're really in trouble. Okay. It means your list is way too long. You know, but you might have to do that. You might literally have to sit down and pray and say, are there things I need to confess Are there things that I need to say sorry for? Write it down in your journal. Write it down. Pray to God. Go, well, God, here's my list. Where do you want me to start? (laughs) I can't handle all of it. I don't have that much time in the week. (laughs) But God will reveal one to start chipping away at the list because this is the spiritual practice of confession and repentance and when we do that with this heart of humility when we do this with this heart that we know that the word of god says again i've read a whole bunch of verses about it when we do it god is well pleased because he's not looking for perfect people he's looking for humble people he's not looking for self-righteous He's looking for people who walk in the righteousness of Jesus. And walking in righteousness with Jesus has to incorporate the disciplines of confession and repentance as the Spirit leads. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of shame because there is no condemnation. None. If you now feel condemned because I told you to make a list, that's not of God. Okay, but let the spirit lead you in this to develop a discipline of confession and repentance 
so that you and I can walk in victory over the flesh. Let's pray together. Father God, as um, I've been sitting in Romans 8 for weeks, and I'm just reminded of your amazing grace. And it's grace that we sing about. It's grace that we learn about. It's grace that we talk about. But sometimes it's not always grace that we live out. And so, Father, forgive me when I've not approached people or you in a spirit of confession and repentance. And God, I pray as we practice this discipline more and more and more in our lives, that you will strengthen our relationships with one another. I pray that you would strengthen our relationship with you, Abba Father. Strengthen the relationship, the bond of peace that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ because of your great mercy. And God, as we continue on in this sermon series of learning to hear your voice, of putting it into action as we abide in Christ, God, we're going to believe the words of Jesus, that it is to our Father's glory that we bear much fruit. It's not for my glory. It's not for our glory. It's not for our church's glory, our denomination's glory but it's for your glory that we would see more lives changed, starting with our families, that we would see more lives changed, starting with ours, that you would bear much fruit as we abide in you. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship you in this place, speak because your children are listening and help us grow in repentance and confession before you and one another. Let's continue to worship together.